0: Breathe upon us, that we might hear you and respond to you. May your word work its way deep into our souls through the power of the Spirit. Amen. Old things. Now it seems like it's, it's always been the case. It probably always will be. All you have to do is look at the skyline of the great cities, and you see our, our love for building things. It actually starts with little children. One of, the, one of the first toy type of things that we give to children are blocks. And children take blocks and they arrange them and they stack them, and they build things out of them. And children progress from blocks to Legos and other kinds of things, but it, a lot of it has to do with building. And I suspect that this, this penchant for building might well be why a game like Jenga is so popular and so attractive to us. We have a chance to build something. The game of Jenga is made up of 54 little blocks like this, and uh, they, they are stacked Three in a row, and each row alternates back and forth. And the object of the game is really quite simple. You slide, a, you slide one of these pieces out somewhere here. We're going to find one. There we go. Without knocking it over, you slide one out. And I'm going to topple this thing. And you put the piece on top, and you keep pulling them out and stacking them up until eventually it falls over. And if you stack the piece that caused it to fall over, you lose. And if you're the one right before that happened, you win. You win. Now, it, it seems pretty simple, but, you know, it gets kind of intense at times as as people are playing it. There are, and they've developed a number of different kinds of Jenga games. There is Jenga Truth or Dare, and uh, this is a game where you, um, yeah, there you see it falling over. Go to the next slide. Okay, this is Jenga Truth or Dare. You have red blocks and green blocks. If you pick a red one, you have to, you have to do whatever you're dared to do. It's written on the block, and if you... Get a green one. You have to answer a question truthfully. That's on the block. There's also Jenga Extreme, and these are this is where the blocks are angled, and so it doesn't go up straight. It goes up sideways or whatever you want to do, just to make it a little bit more difficult. It seems to me, and and they also have uh, they also have collector's editions of Jenga. Uh, they have things like the one of the Boston Red Sox, and to be equal, give equal time. That one for the Yankees as well, and I think there's a picture of that one too. Then maybe yeah, and and they have one for John Deere as well. So if you're a farmer, tractors, there you go. It seems to me that Jenga is is a vivid metaphor for the church, because in the church we are interwoven, interconnected to each other, much like these blocks that go back and forth up this tower. Now, you know, we'll be honest about it. Sometimes we view that interconnectedness as a good thing and sometimes not so good. When, when we're in need and people come to our assistance and they, and they invest themselves in us, we think pretty highly of this interconnectedness in the church. But when other people are in need and they're looking to us to help them, to invest ourselves in them, to be the answer to the difficulties they're facing, to support them and help them, Sometimes it's not quite what we were hoping it would be. But here's the thing about the church and this interconnectedness. You're either in or you're not. Because if you're in, you're connected, whether you want to be or not. If you're in the church, if you're a part of the church, you're connected to other people. And if you don't really connect... I think the argument could be made as to whether you're really committed to the church. I don't know if we see that as clearly as God does. I'm pretty sure we don't take that as seriously as God does. Our connectedness to the church and to one another within the church is so significant to God that in the last hours of his life, just moments before his arrest, Jesus is praying in the garden and he prays, My prayer for all of them is that they will be one As you and I are one, Father. Jesus is praying for our unity. Just moments before his death. Paul speaks to the Romans about this very thing as well. And being sensitive to each other. And he admonishes them. So then let's aim for harmony in the church. Try to build each other up. And it's not just a New Testament concept. Psalm 133 that we read a few moments ago... ...affirms how wonderful it is... ...how pleasant... ...brothers live together in harmony. And here's what I've discovered... ...instead of rejoicing about that connectedness... And, ...and focusing on that... ...we have a tendency... ...to focus on all the things that divide us. Now granted, there are a lot of things that divide us. Just think about this for a moment. We can, we can divide about anything... ...but just here's some examples... Education, age, gender, our common interests, things like you're an athlete or not an athlete, you're a musician not a musician, or you an artist not an artist. We have political divisions: liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat. Worship styles, leisure time activities, majors, income levels, race, nationality, academic levels, language differences. In this country, whether we want to admit it or not, there are still distinct differences between north and south. We, we can divide over how we view certain social issues. Church government, denominations, our occupations, where you send your children to school, which Sunday school class you attend, where you sit when you come to church. I mean, you name it, we can find ways to divide ourselves about it. And we have a sense, I think sometimes, that those things that can be divisive give us the right and permission to simply exclude ourselves from other people. Because we have so many ways to divide ourselves, we come to believe that we don't really need to worry about being connected to other people. They go their way, I'll go my way, we're all good. But that's not the biblical picture. I'm always intrigued when you you come to to a place in Scripture, and you find this particularly in the letters in the New Testament, where uh, Paul, who, who loves to greet people, And it especially intrigues me that when you come to the end of the book of Romans... ...arguably the most theological book in all the New Testament... ...intensely theological, intentional... ...that when you get to the end of that, Paul concludes with this long litany of people he wants to greet. There are at least 29 specific people that Paul addresses in that greeting. Greet this person, greet that person, greet that person. What's intriguing to me is that those names... ...I think give us a glimpse into what the church was like in Rome... ...and probably the church, what the church was like throughout the, that time period in the early church. And what you find here is that those names include people who were Jews and Greeks... ...men and women, people who were dispersed and sent out after the, after the martyrdom of Stephen... ...and people who came to faith years later. You have Roman slaves and you have members of the imperial household... You have people who are at all levels of the socioeconomic scale. Some people who are mature in their faith. Some people who are very new to faith. And addressing all of these means of dividing people, potentially dividing people, Paul could have said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Because you've got all these these means of of splitting each other up and all these these things that are, are different with each other, we're going to do this. All the people have been Christians a long time, you're going to go meet at Priscilla and Aquila's house. And those of you who have been Christians less than a year, you're going to meet at Rufus's house. And, and those of you who, who are pretty high up the socioeconomic ladder, you're going to meet over there. And those of you who are at the bottom part of that, you're going to meet at this house. And those of you who are Jews, you're going to go there. And those of you who are Gentiles, you're going to go there. And he could have divided the whole thing up. But instead he says... Be one in Christ. He calls the church to unity. He doesn't deny the diversity. I think he's saying that diversity makes you even stronger. Because when, when, you, when in your diversity you continue to stay connected, you present a picture to the world of what the kingdom of God is like. The church should be unique in that. Most of the other organizations of the world are dividing themselves by likes and dislikes and and all kinds of things where they are similar. They think similarly. But in the church, it's everybody coming together, uniting ourselves in spite of our diversities, and becoming one. You know, Jing is a vivid metaphor of the church, I think, because... We tend to think that because of this divisiveness and just kind of because of our circumstances, involvement, interconnectedness is optional. What, what's a big deal if, if I'm involved or I'm not? What's a big deal if I'm consistent about being at church or not? What's the big deal if I have relational connections with people at church or not? Who cares? I'm just doing my own thing. And it's a lot like playing this game and poking holes all through this tower and saying... So what? It's just one piece, one block. I'm just, I'm just one block in the tower. Who cares if one block is missing? But it's never just one block. There's always more people with the same mindset. And when there's so many holes, eventually, it compromises the integrity of the tower. I think sometimes we, we don't feel the sense of connectedness in the church because maybe we aren't sure we're accepted by the church. That's in those moments that I think the example of Jesus is so powerful for us. He's continually getting into trouble because he goes and eats meals with the wrong people. And the right people continually confront him about it. Now was important in their day particularly because if you ate a meal with someone, particularly if you went to someone's house, you were making a declaration that that person is your friend. You respect them. You don't mind being seen with them. You have a connection with them. And the right people were unhappy that Jesus was making that kind of declaration. The Scriptures teach that, and Jesus tells us this over and over again, that in his kingdom, we all are on equal footing. It's one of the things that that I love about, about taking communion together is that this table, the ground at this table is level. We all come as sinners in need of God's grace. And too often, the church has sent the message, both in just who we are and and even in, in, in offering the sacrament, that if you've sinned, you're really not welcome here. This table is only for people who've got it all together, or at least aren't committing sins that other people know about. And, of course, the implication is that if we're excluding some people, we must be worthy. We're good enough. And we know none of us are good enough. But we're welcome. We're welcome because of the grace of Christ that calls us together in unity and invites us to come and to be a part of the kingdom of God. And The church ought to be the place where people find themselves welcomed and embraced. Not to stay the way we are, but welcomed so that the power of Christ can transform us into the people God created us to be. Sometimes our struggle with this connectedness is it is the fault of the church. You know, we're, we're not, a, we don't have that spirit of openness and, and welcome that we see in Jesus. But sometimes the problem's less the church, and it's more just us. We just don't really want to commit to, to, to each other as the body of Christ. Someone told me recently that, that they worry that a lot of people see the church sort of like a supermarket. I come, I get my stuff, I go home. And I don't talk to anybody there. I'm not really looking for go to the checkout. I'm not really looking for conversation. I only talk to somebody who's there if I need something. I come, I get my stuff, and I'm out of there. And for these people, that the church is essential, but it's not integral. It's important, but there's no real psychological attachment. There's no ownership. I suspect that, that probably a, a fair number of college students and academy dorm students may feel that way while they're here. And if the church has, has created an atmosphere that, that has, has breeded that kind of communication to you, we want to change that. But maybe, maybe it's just a matter of feeling like I don't really want to be connected. I don't need anybody else. In fact, one of the reasons I don't want to be there is because those folks, people are driving me crazy. They're draining me dry besides, I don't want to be too active at church, or I might have to do something. They want me to work with children or youth, or want to be an usher or a greeter, or go to the nursing home, and I don't really want to get into that right now. I just want to come, do my thing, and go home. And unfortunately, that's a pattern that gets set. So that when we move to a place where we're more established and connected and long-term, maybe that same mindset goes with us. But when we see the church as a place of interconnectedness, not because of burden and responsibility, but because of joy and privilege, it changes everything. And I suspect that's something of Paul's point in Romans and 1 Corinthians 12. As you know, He talks about spiritual gifts. I don't think he's trying to convince people to use their gifts. I think he's trying to help them understand the joy of using their gifts. And when we see the church as, as a gift of God, as, as, a, as a place of great privilege and joy, that we, have the, that we have the ability to connect ourselves with other people, we naturally want to use our gifts and our abilities to help and encourage and disciple each other. And of course we're going, to, we're going to use our gifts as the, that God has given us to do things like work with children or help teenagers or challenge one another to grow in Christ or reach out to other people. Because it's a privilege to be connected. I know sometimes we wonder, I don't have anything to give. So we just sit on the sidelines. But we don't realize that all of us have something to give. All of us can be a part of the joy that is the interconnectedness of the church. We're all significant. We're all a part of it. Maybe we're hesitant to accept this interconnectedness. Because we've seen the humanness and the fallibility that's in the church. I mean, some of us may have been hurt deeply by by the ugliness of human nature and, and the struggles that we all have with sin. Because of personality conflicts, maybe because of our penchant for competitiveness, we have a problem. We tend to think that we look better if other people look worse. I'm not as bad as they are. At least I didn't do that. Well, I'm glad that's not my problem. And sometimes subconsciously, sometimes fully consciously, we're not all that upset when people fail. Because we feel like it makes us look better. Our insecurities, our competitiveness can lead us To some ugly things. As I did last week with with Scrabble, I asked some people about what they liked about Jenga. And one said, my favorite thing about Jenga is developing a steady hand-eye coordination to take out a piece and not topple the tower. Someone else said, my favorite thing about Jenga is seeing how many pieces I can balance. And another said, my favorite thing about Jenga is just the name of the game, Jenga. It sounds like something of martial arts or, or, or something like that. It makes me feel adventurous and exotic to be playing a game with that kind of name. But a couple of other people said, my favorite thing about Jenga is when the tower falls over. My favorite thing is yelling, woo hoo hoo Jenga, and then watch the thing collapse on the table. Now, if you're playing with someone whose favorite part of the game is knocking over the tower, it gets a little bit frustrating. That's sort of missing the point. There are people like that in the church, too. People who love to poke holes in the unity of the church. Out of their insecurities or about their desire to control. People are willing to take it down for their own gain. In this game, Takarati, that was the precursor to, to Jenga, they had an interesting twist in the rules they called jungle rules. And if you play with jungle rules, and I suppose you could play this with Jenga too, but this is actually part of the official rules. But if you play that game with jungle rules, you can do anything you want to distract the person making their move outside of physical contact. So, I mean, you can yell at them, you can scream at them, you can jump up and down, you can do anything you want to to try and distract them, to cause them to knock over the tower. And we have all run into people... Who like to do that with the church. People who are more interested in their own self centeredness, more interested in grabbing power, more interested in themselves than in the church and in one another. People who are not happy unless they're in controversy, people who are wanting to stir the pot all the time. These are the people that, when you're having a discussion about spiritual gifts, proudly declare they have the gift of confrontation. And they aren't afraid to use it. And people are looking for dissension, and if they aren't able to find it, they create it. And sometimes it feels as though maybe we're with people who are just distracting everything, and it feels as though the whole thing's going to go down. And the thing about Jenga is that eventually it's going to fall. The world record for the highest Jenga tower is forty stories. Now, this is about 20 right now. So you twice that. That's the record. On the 41st story, even the tallest tower went down. I mean, that's just the game. But here's where... And, and, and we have a sense that maybe the church is in the same boat. Eventually... Enough people are going to poke holes in it. Enough people are going to mess with it. It's going to go down. And it's in that moment we need to remember whose church it is. It's not our church, it's Christ's church. And because it's Christ's church, it's not going to fall, it is not going to fail. The game of Jenga is won or lost by by maintaining a solid foundation. However high you go, you've got to keep that foundation secure and steady. And it's amazing how long you can play with a solid foundation. In the church, our foundation is Christ. And here's where the analogy breaks down, because Christ never fails. Christ never falls. Christ is always rock solid, and he keeps the church standing. The question is, are we going to be a part of what stands, connected, or are we going to remove ourselves from it? I think our spiritual condition is weighing in the balance. Our decision. In her book Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamott shares a story that she once heard from her minister. It said that uh, she was about seven years old and she had a friend who got lost one day in this big city where they lived. She, she ran up and down the streets trying to find something that looked familiar, but she couldn't. And she began to panic, as you can well imagine a, a lost seven year old would in a big city. And she kept looking and running and going here and going there. And finally, a police car pulled up and the officer got out and talked to her. And she explained the situation. So he put her in the car in the passenger seat. And they began looking for some kind of landmark that she recognized. They turned a corner and she said, stop the car. I said, you can let me out here. Because that's my church. And from there, I can always find my way And Anne Lamott goes on to say, "That's why I've stayed so close to my church, Because no matter how bad I'm feeling or how lost or lonely or frightened, when I see the faces of the people of my church and I hear their voices, I can always find my way home, because we're connected. That's the kind of stuff that happens. When the church is the church. Through the grace of Christ. Father, we pray that you will indeed help us to be the church. Connected to one another. We pray, Father, that, that in your grace and mercy. You will help us to see the joy being your church in this place. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.